I'm coming up with a lot of water because um, I think I scared, I really scared Reverend Megan, which is sort of fun to try to do, because I had, I had a, my flu shot last Tuesday. On Friday morning, I got a cold. And I thought, well, I won't tell you exactly what went through my head, but it wasn't the kind of words you expect to hear from ministers. And so I'm drinking water and I'm staying in bed and everything. And I found out this morning that we're coming down here. She thought, oh, my God, what if I have to do the whole service today? And I thought, oh, I could have scared her. I could really have scared her and said, yeah, that's true, you know. Anyway, I am so glad to be here because I find this such a warm and delightful community. And I've always felt welcomed here from the very first time when it must have been, what, two and a half, three years ago that we were first coming down here while you were on your search for your own minister. So in any event, um, thank you for inviting me back. I just really enjoy it. Now, you know, they also, they gave me the, the best topic in the universe, can you believe? Fear and punishment. <laughs> Duh. I mean, it's sort of like, they, they, you could hear them up in their office saying, I don't want to talk about it. Do you want to talk about it? No, I don't want to talk about it. What about you? Do you want to talk? Let's ask Doris. <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, that ad where they have Mikey. Let's have Mikey do it. Let's have Mikey try. Oh, Mikey likes it, you know. So that's me today talking about fear and punishment. Actually, we're actually we're really talking about wholeness, you know, when we when we get up close and personal with uh, fear and punishment. I mean, really, our minds are always such a jumble of beliefs, of thoughts, of perceptions. I mean, it's constant that we so many of us are we fear losing our possessions. We fear losing our careers. We fear watching the erosion of our health. Or we fear that we're going to be punished by God by some decision that we made, etc., etc. In fact, it's not only just that we sort of fear that, a lot of us are absolutely certain that God is punishing us for some sort of dreadful disease, for losing our job, or even when we walk through the, out to the, from the grocery store, our, our grocery bag splits, and there go our oranges, our cucumbers, our peanut butter, and our eggs right down to the pavement. We say, why is God punishing me for this? Um, there have been occasions when even I've said that. So I've decided that I would really try to get truly up close and personal, and try to understand fear just a bit better uh, before I tried to make any clever announcements or, or what is my favorite, to make some sort of proclamation like I really, really knew what I was talking about. You'd be amazed how many people believe me when I make a proclamation. But I thought we could talk about God, God's punishment, and fear. Um, Let's look at, let's start with fear, and we can say right away that let's look at, at some of the fears. Some of our fears are actually sort of built into our bodies. 
so that we can keep our bodies safe. Like, not one of us would probably jump out of a boat in the middle of the ocean if we had no idea about how to swim, right? Or you wouldn't catch me walking on an I-beam 20 stories up, ever. I mean, because, well, I am fearful of heights, but, <laughs> I mean, would you really go up there and walk on some I-beam like you watch a lot of the workmen do? And not too many of us would unless we have absolutely brilliant balance. And even then, we're probably going to be tethered somehow, some way. So there are some fears that keep us, keep these bodies sort of safe, to keep them secure. But so many of our other fears are really not like that. I mean, I won't minimize that some of our fears come from really a pretty significant trauma in our lives or that there has been something so ugly, so awful, so hurtful, so whatever, that it's going to hang around. But so many of our fears, I swear we developed as teenagers when it was a thing to do, like, oh, I'm just so scared when I see a mouse. Are any of you in here frightened of mice? I find that they're sort of cute, you know? I'm the rats, that's something else. But um, if we go back to our friend, and which Reverend Megan mentioned in her reading, Ernest Holmes will tell you flat out that fear is just a negative use of faith. In other words, it seems that we are more fearful of being abducted by aliens than we are that our good is rushing toward us, that God is sending us. That sounds rather odd, but I think we are sometimes more frightened of things such as that than we are of how much good is constantly streaming into our lives. Let me make this, this is sort of a pronouncement, but it really is not, because our fears, our fears generally are situational, they're subjective, and they're relative. Our wholeness is not any of those things. But let's look at that situational, that relative, and that subjective. And I have probably what I think is one of the greatest examples in the world because it relates to me. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh and say, oh, yeah, right. Let's, <laughs> very good, very good. It's about you. You know, many years, many, many years ago, and I cannot tell you when it came out, although Amy just may be able to, when the movie The Birds came out. Remember that movie? That triggered an irrational fear of birds in me. Absolutely irrational. I became absolutely petrified, even if I saw a little wren, you know, fly by. I was sure it was going to go into my hair or peck my eye out or do something really odd. And it all seemed to stem from that movie. But I didn't really connect the two. I just knew that that brought to mind how fearful I was of birds. Then one day I was in San Francisco. This was 
several years after my, I had just discovered this fear of birds. And I was in San Francisco, and I was standing on a street corner. I don't even remember where I was going or what I was going to do. But I saw a crippled pigeon at the edge of the street. And I thought, oh my God, I don't want to see that pigeon run over by a car. Oh, what am I going to do? But I was absolutely frozen. You know, they talk about uh, flight or fight. I have freeze. And so I was in that middle section of absolutely frozen, could not do a thing. Then all of a sudden, I looked up, and here was this young man and his girlfriend crossing the street. The guy just reached down, put his hand under the rip, the the pigeon's belly, picked it up, carried it across, dropped it in the bushes. It's so simple. But here I was. I was absolutely frozen. So I, that was a powerful thing for me, an absolutely powerful thing. And I said to myself, I will take action. Next time something like this happens, I will take action. Do you remember when Re Reverend Megan talked about taking action not too long ago, a couple, three weeks ago, right? She talked about taking action. You've got to take action. So I said, I'm going to take action. So two weeks later, I mean, I figured when I made that pronouncement, it would be sometime in the future. <laughs> two weeks later, I'm also in San Francisco in a shoe store. Would you believe a pigeon flew into the window and killed itself? I, uh, and I, I stood there, I immediately, first of all, I froze. Then I said, I said I was going to take action. I said I was going to take action. I looked around, I found the lid of a shoebox. And I went Ch -ch -ch -ch, out the front door. God saved me big time. Some man eating an ice cream cone had picked it up by its feet and dumped it in the trash. Ever since then, I have to tell you, ever since then, I have not been afraid of birds. In fact, I have been somewhat eager to do some bird watching. Now, that, was, that in some ways was an easy cure for a fear. But I also believe that when you discover one of your fears, Many times that you have to decide that you really want to do something about it rather than saying, oh, I am so fearful. And I'm not minimizing your fears, any one of our fears. But I do know from my own experience that I've been able to take care of some of those which have haunted me in the past. You know, there's a fellow named, um, his name is Dr. Carl Albrecht, who... Um, when I went looking for a little more information about fears, he said that there are actually five categories of fears that, that, are avail that we can put any fear that anybody has into it, uh, into a greater or lesser degree. So, um, and I frankly am dealing with something probably that could be found in any, every one of those categories. So if we start out by first saying that fears the fears that we're experiencing really are just information. They're information that our bodies and our heads are sending to us. What we do with that information is going to be something else. 
he starts out by saying that, um, that one of the first fears, one of the first categories, and I'm, I'm checking my notes to make sure I get all of this correct here. He said one of our first fears is uh, the fear of ego death. Well, now that's a nice, great-sounding phrase, but it, and, but it matches up perfectly with when I went and I said, what are the worst fears in, in our country that people really, truly fear? The, the, the most quoted fear is, believe it or not, the fear of giving uh, a speech, public speaking. People are absolutely petrified and will do almost anything other than give a public speech. Because ego death is what we would call feeling humiliated, shamed, unworthy. And you can probably think some of your own fears that might, but you try to avoid doing certain things because we feel like I'm going to look like a fool or I'm not going to look so good or I'd be embarrassed or being criticized. So that's what we would call, and, and you know, I like going through, like, trying to get this information because, well, I do like information. It's sort of like I've got the whole Library of Congress up here. There's so many things. It's just great to know these things. Then I can sort of sort through them and figure them out. So we say that's the fear of the ego death. Another one, of course, is fear of separation. And it's not just uh, feeling that all of them actually relate to fear of separation when we're talking about separation from the one, from remember forgetting that we are part of the all. But this one he puts in a separate category, and he says fear of separation, which would be like uh, fear of being rejected or fear of being abandoned. And I think some of us, or many of us, to a greater or lesser extent, have those feelings, that feeling of being separated or rejected or abandoned. The one that I used, I had seen a movie once where um, it was in the Amish, where they used shunning. And I thought, that could truly be an absolutely horrific way of, of pushing someone out of a community so that they feel no longer that they belong. The third one is the loss of autonomy. This is one that I think, um, I don't know if you, if you have, the loss of autonomy relates to when we fear being paralyzed, entrapped. I think of, what do we think of? We think of being paralyzed, entrapped, claustrophobia, aging. There's no autonomy. Somebody's telling you when you get to take a shower, when you don't get to take a shower, when you get to eat, when you, you cannot do it, when you want to do it. Well, in fact, there's a friend who um, the loss of autonomy is absolutely clear because she says, nobody, but nobody is the boss of me. And, you know, you say, yeah, okay. And that's true. Nobody is the boss of us, but we have to know that nobody is the boss of us. That no one, even when we're getting older or if we were to be paralyzed and put in a chair, no one is still taking away what is important to us, our possibilities, right? 
They're okay. The next one, and there are only a couple of others here, but the one that where my birds fit is the fear of mutilation. Anybody in here have fear of bugs, needles, germs? Oh, this is fear of mutilation for some reason. He calls it fear of mutilation, where somehow your body is going to be invaded or destroyed. There was one time when I, I was on a job site as a consultant. My little finger got caught in the door. When, when one of my colleagues slammed the door, oh, it was my thumb. And you know what my first thought was? It's, oh, my God, my thumb is not going to look good and perfect and whole. You know, I mean, that is truly the fear of mutilation. The last one is the one that we probably all feel the most, and that's, guess what? The fear of extinction. My dad, of course, was a master at the fear of extinction. He, uh, we should just scare ourselves by ceasing to exist. And my dad was absolutely certain that he was never going to die. He did. Peacefully. But we have that fear, that total fear, that somehow we're going to cease completely to exist. I think, you know, since I do a lot of work with those who are in the active stage of transitioning, someone went, walked up to one of the patients and said, hi, how are you today? Fine. Um, you know, I've just got a question that I really, really want to ask you. What's it like to know that you are dying? Then there was this perfect and beautiful answer. What's it like to pretend that you're not? <laughs> and I thought, we do try to pretend that we're not going to lose, give up this package. Because we're involved with our personalities, we're, we're committed to these bodies, and so the concept of a greater wholeness, a greater freedom, a greater immortality is, for many of us, still sort of beyond us. So I, I, those, those are the... Um, so if we just return to what Dr. Holmes says and, and say, yes, indeed, even if we look at these categories of fear, what we're really looking at is the negative use of faith. Um, instead of thinking that I am losing my autonomy, let me think that I am whole, perfect, and complete, and full of all kinds of possibilities, and that I am connected to a power that knows only good. It's, it's, it's the little steps, as, um, as um, Buddy said in his song, Stone by Stone, it's really building it one step at a time, dealing with the fear and taking one kind of action, one kind of uh, movement to eradicate something which is keeping us from feeling vibrant, full of possibility, and able to continue. Okay, we've talked enough about fear. Got that taken care of, right? Let's go talk about... Um, punishment.
Let's move from this, this, this area where we look at a negative use of faith in terms of our fears and look to the mistaken belief in sin, which leads to punishment, that we're all going to be punished or we're being, there is punishing behavior. Dr. Holmes says in The Science of Mind and Spirit that there is no sin but a mistake. And no punishment, but an inevitable consequence. There is an immutable law of cause and effect running through everything. We are not punished for our sins, but by them. I like to translate that with saying we're not punished for our mistakes, but by them. And I know everyone in here is very familiar with, with the uh, quote that I just read where they talk about sin is simply missing the mark, that it's you're not being punished for the error, but by the error. Now, some of, some of the mistakes or punishment uh, well, let's call them mistakes, seem larger than other ones. Do you all remember a few years ago when um, the home prices uh, were escalating and people were buying houses left and right, and they were getting these somewhat strange, better-than-normal kinds of mortgages? And they thought, wow, got my house, I'm in, no down payment. La, 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 it goes on and on. I've got balloon payments, I've got this, I've got that, but I'm into my house. It's going to be perfect. Well, it was for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, all these homes started going into foreclosure. So the people were saying, you know, why did God do this to me? What did I do? And although it sounds really harsh, it had nothing to do with God. It had everything to do with the decision that we made. It's no different, I mean, no big or small to this when we talk about punishment. Um, it's no different than if we went, insisted and told everybody, we're going to meet at Rosine's for, lunch, for brunch. Absolutely, I want to go there, that's where we're going to go. So we all go down there, and then we sit there, and I say, God's punishing me. There's not one thing on here that I want to eat today. Hoo, hoo, hoo. You see, so it's putting the blame elsewhere than the fact that we just made maybe a bad decision. Or we made a decision that wasn't uh, open. Whatever. It's just that we made a strange, impulsive, or whatever decision. So there are consequences to every one of our decisions and choices. The consequences, if they turn out, we feel happy, happy, then we say, oh man, that was the best decision I ever made. And if it turns out and there's a challenge somewhere along the line, we go, why is God punishing me? Not so, not true. Or, and to use uh, with, with cleaned up language, and to quote Reverend Megan, you can't really mess this up. See how I did it? You can't mess this up. What you get to do um, is to re-choose. Now, there are some situations, I would like to throw this in, though, about, about punishment. There are some situations where you have to make a decision as an employer or as a parent 
that may look by punishment, but if the decision is made with, let's say, love and discernment rather than being punitive, it's just a natural consequence. How, have any of you in here ever had an employee who does not meet commitments? They're either always late to work and they've been told they have to be there by XYZ time and then they consistently show up late. Or they promise that they'll have their paper, their project done by such and such, but it never is. You may have to let that person go because they did not keep their commitments, not because you're trying to punish them. And there, then there's the teenager who misses the curfew? Uh-oh, sorry. Have to suffer the consequences of that. It's not a freebie. So those are the kinds of things that it's not punishing. Rather, what it is is a decision that has been made with love and discernment to take care of a situation where the boundaries haven't been met or the obligations were, were ignored. So I, I was going to read it, and I don't think I am, because I do read it, seems like every time I'm here, the um, page 52. Is everyone here familiar with page 52, Megan? Okay, well then I will read page 52, because it does talk about punishment. Let's see. The page 52, which talks about, because it does talk about our decisions and the consequences and our fears and actually the consequences of those. Hence, it follows that if we believe that it will not work, it really works by appearing to not work. When we believe that it, God, Spirit, cannot and will not, then according to principle, it does not. But when it does not, it still does, only according to our belief that it does not. That's what we have to keep in mind when we start talking about the mistakes that we've made and the fact of feeling like we're being punished or it didn't work that the way we wanted it to work. It's we have to then go back a step or two and look at the beliefs that we're experiencing. Actually, whatever is happening, and I'm sort of coming up here on, on um, closing the, our talk today, it's that whenever we discuss the fears that are dancing around in our worlds or, the, uh, or we admit that, that we've made some decisions or some choices that we need to redo or that we're being punished by God, Actually, what we're always having mirrored back to us is our belief or our perception that needs healing. That truly is the, what we have to do. And I want that, that we have made weird decisions. We make impulsive decisions. There is not one decision that cannot be revised. I don't think there's one. People move, and then they say, ah, bad decision. Well, it costs a little money, but you can return. You know? It's that they don't like the other consequences. But there isn't one decision that most of us make that cannot be altered, re-improvised, or changed. 
So what I'd like to, what I want to leave you with are, are two quotes, actually. One is a quote, one is just sort of what I heard years ago. That when we start looking at our fears, whether it's a fear of flying or a fear of dying, whether it's a mouse or a cockroach, giving a speech or being confined to an elevator, or being upset with the place that we chose to go to lunch. All you really need to say to yourself in that moment of consciousness is, taint so. Taint so. It can be reversed, it can be changed, it can be altered. You can move toward wholeness. The other one comes um, comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson, one of my very favorite writers. He says, do not be too timid and squeamish about your actions. All life is an experiment. The more experiments you make, the better. What if they are a little coarse, and you may get your coat soiled or torn? What if you do fail and get fairly rolled in the dirt once or twice? Up again, and you shall never be so afraid of a tumble. So you can think of that song, you know, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and start all over again. That's it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.